trust that this has been a time of blessing you and that it's come up before you as a sweet-smelling savor. We adore you. We honor you, Lord. We want to magnify your name, exalt you. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, that we have to join the host of heaven, Lord. Even though we cannot see you nor the things that are transpiring in heaven right now, we know that spiritually, Lord, we are seated with you there in the heavenlies. That's our true home. We are part of the forever family of God to be with you for all eternity. We know that you're using this life to prepare us for that. We're just grateful that you have left us the scriptures, Lord, to prepare us for the things that will yet transpire in our lives before we come to you, and also to give us an understanding of your grace, your love, your goodness, Lord, how awesome you are. Thank you for the hope we, and the comfort we find in the scriptures. We ask now as we open the word that your spirit would break in upon us, give us understanding, do a transforming work in our souls, our spirits, that we might be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. This morning we will seek to cover the first 12 verses. So I ask people this a lot, how are you doing? <laughs> it's the title of the message this morning. And you'll understand the significance maybe as we make it through this. As soon as you find Matthew 23, verse 1, stand and we'll read the scripture. If you do not have a Bible, please look for one underneath the seat in front of you someplace there and and, uh, it will be there. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their flatteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you... Do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father. For one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers. For one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is great among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Father, thank you for this precious word. Now give us insight to it for our own good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
Remember, we are in the final days here of Jesus' ministry, <laughs> on earth that is, and he has already been acknowledged as the Son of God, and many who are hearing these words that he's speaking in the temple recognize him as the Messiah. He's received that worship from the time that he entered. This is what we refer to as like Palm Sunday. So it's this last week that these things uh, are being written, have been written down by Matthew and given to us. And he's immediately upon his entrance there, what we refer to as the triumphant entry, he went in and he cleansed the temple. The following day he was cornered, as it were, by the establishment and asked what kind, who, who gave him this authority to sort of upset their apple cart. And they confronted him with many questions. And then as we read at the last verse of 22, after all these questions and this examination, as it were, of the Lamb of God, they dared not ask him any more questions. And then Jesus went on to prepare his people uh, for things that would come. And, and so what we have here is applicable to us uh, in the first 12 uh, verses here. And then he will be unleashed. That will be next week, Jesus unleashed. He is going to be unleashed and he is going to pronounce woes upon the establishment. And by the way, he's really the only one that has the right to do that, being God. We are not allowed to do that with other men, so to speak. And so, these attitudes and this, the approach to God and recognizing authority is so important for us as believers. Now, we know that the woes that he's pronouncing are towards the Sanhedrin, that 70-member group of Pharisees and some Sadducees and the scribes. And these were the ones that were uh, the gatekeepers of the kingdom. They were the ones that were in charge of worship of God and the sacrificial system. And it's really easy to just say that all these guys were corrupt. They were all a bunch of hypocrites and that kind of thing and just, you know, broad brush them with that general statement. But we have to remember not all of them were corrupt. Not all of them were hypocrites. You remember in John 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus and Teacher, we know that you're, you are of God. And so there was a recognition from at least one member of the group that recognized the authority of Jesus. There's lots of things he didn't understand. But G and so uh, we have to be careful that. And, and we have to be careful, as we'll learn through this passage, uh, of our judgments of people in authority. You know, um, Jesus was not intimidated by these guys but these guys were able to intimidate everybody else and I think that's part of why they hated him so much he, he has no respect for persons he could, has a servant of God and, and being God and he could see right through into the motive of the heart through, because the spirit had opened his eyes as it were as a man to see this and, but we do have in the Sanhedrin probably some of the most corrupt men that had ever served in leadership capacity over the nation. And so this intimidation uh, and this, that they had over the people, we have to understand that intimidating the people of God is something that God doesn't take 
very well. He doesn't take it very lightly. As leaders in the church of Jesus Christ, we must be careful as leaders not to intimidate the people who would want to approach God. And um, I believe Jesus is going to explain how intimidation is taken away and how we as leaders and we as Christians, as we share our lives and we preach the gospel, as we witness to our neighbors and friends, that we're not intimidating to them. We're not blowing them away, as it were, uh, with the truth. But we're approachable in and of ourselves, and we're telling people the truth in a loving manner. This is so critical, especially in our, in our day and age. You know, in our day and age, we're easily intimidated by titles and important people. Um, you know, someone's the head of state, or, you know, if we were in the presence of the President of the United States, we would sort of privately get nervous. I mean, think about approaching the eternal God. I mean, that is intimidating. So why would I want to make it even further intimidating by my personal presence of thinking that I was something important, you know? And so there's a lot to learn here. And this is... Uh, an egregious error on the part of leadership at any level, be it in the church or government. We're, those who are ch called to positions of authority, those who are called to lead and to are to be servants. Public service, service in the kingdom of God. We're here to serve, not to lord over. And so uh, we have to, at times, my responsibility is to warn the people of God uh, that not everyone who names the name of Christ, who stands in a pulpit, who claims to be a representative of God, is as they say. Not everyone is a true servant of God. We have the parables that Jesus gave, and he said as the kingdom would grow, it would be like a tree. It would start out as a small seed and then grow into this vast tree where the birds of the air would come and nest in it, land in it. Birds, in this case, always are a type uh, symbolic of evil and demonic presence. And so as the church would grow, there would be evil within the good things. And so that would require discernment on the part of the church and the part of people in the kingdom of God. There are those who serve in the church for financial gain. There are people who fleece the flock for money so they can buy their toys, their yachts, their cars, all the luxuries that they desire at the cost of the people within the assembly of God. These men will be held accountable for their deeds, no doubt. And then there are those who serve for juice for the accolades. They love the attention, maybe some psychological need to be in front of people and have attention, knowing that they're influencing people and it brings some kind of satisfaction within their soul. But their motive for service isn't in that they've been called by God. It's just something that they want to do and they're usually pretty good speakers and they can kind of slide through and unnoticed into these positions of leadership. And so my responsibility, as it is of all pastors, is to warn the people of God about the wolves. There are three categories of people in this area. There, there are the wolves. They are sheep. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. They try to act like a sheep, but inside they're, they're ravenous beast. Acts 20, verse 29 and 30. Then there are the dogs. 
uh, be Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. They're just, they say the right thing, but their lives have not been cleansed by evil. Now, why do we, you know, when someone does something sort of shady, or, or they're just, man, that was, that was, that was really off, bro. You know, that, and you just, you dog. You know, we, we have those little sayings that we, you know, that, that's what we mean. We infer that that was just not right. You know, that was, well, that's Paul referred to some of the people, the religious people who had failed to be cleansed from deeds of the flesh as dogs. And then Paul also talked about the deceitful workers. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. So there's different types of characters in the universal body of Christ. And we, as believers, need to be on guard and not be gullible. Now, on the other hand, we can't walk around as judges and as skeptical. Like, everybody's out to get us. You know, we've got to have someone watching our back the whole time. As far as I understand, the Bible uh, says that God is my foreguard and he's my rear God. I'm trusting God that he's going to protect me from these kind of people. But I'm not naive in the sense that they uh, uh, do not exist. They do. They're here. But I don't know what they look like, and I haven't really met too many of them, but I know that they're there. I've seen them at a distance, but I'm glad I don't associate with them. But there's one principle that I seek to live by when it comes to this area. It goes like this. All men are considered godly until proven otherwise. That's love. We are to love people. We are to trust people. And if they do something that's contrary to that, then we have reason to call uh, their character into question. And in in reality, that's what Jesus is going to do. He's calling into character character attitudes of these people, uh, the Pharisees and the establishment, uh, into question. But taking this position of allows me to just be trusting initially, to be loving, to be kind, to be really what Jesus is to us. He's loving. He's kind. It's always good to give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, you know, they probably didn't mean it that way. Just always, you know, just let it go. Fail on the side of mercy. You know, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? I mean, you know, you, you don't, you're not going to become a brute for punishment. But that's not how you approach the relationship. Now, you might say, well, you know, when you do that, you're putting yourself at risk. Well, absolutely. You betcha. Jesus put himself at risk to the point where nails went in his hands and in his feet. Love is vulnerable. There's no question about that. We're not naive to that. But that's the kind of love that, that God has for us. It's vulnerable love. And we trust God Uh, for these relationships. I mean, let's face it. We live in a fallen world. We ourselves are fallen, and the people that we're associating associating with are fallen. That's a recipe for issues, (laughs) wouldn't you think? So as we look at this chapter, it's nicely divided into three sections. Uh, The warning against hypocrisies, the first 12 verses here, and and an encouragement on our part as citizens of the kingdom to be humble people. And then he is, as I said before, uh, it will be Jesus unleashed. Uh, the condemnation of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, verses 13 through 36. And then the love of God. I love to just talk about the love of God, but that's uh, at the end of the chapter, verses 
37 through 39. His love for Jerusalem, and God hasn't changed that at all. He loves Israel, and he loves uh, the nation of Israel. But the, more importantly here this morning for us, it's important that we recognize authority. And, and actually, we really don't grow and develop in our faith until we recognize God-given authority. Remember when the centurion came and to Jesus with his daughter being sick and needing a healing or he possibly sent representatives to Jesus. And then he explained, you know, I, I say to this one go and he goes and this one do this and he does that. And then at the end of the story, Jesus said, I have not found such great faith no, not in all of Israel. He understood the chain of command. He understood submission and authority. We need to do that. And that's why this is such a critical thought here as we approach this chapter. We have, we'll see the abuse of that authority when Jesus denounces them. And he's trying to get the multitude. So he's speaking to all of us and to his disciples here this morning about the importance of being under authority and recognizing the authority. Because really, what, what are we doing when we worship God in reality? We're coming in submission to Him. He is our Father. He is our Creator. And by nature, who are we? We're renegades. We want to live independent of God. But as we bow and submit to the ultimate authority, everything in our life begins to line up because there is an order to be to be unbroken and unsubmitted to God is to have your life in disarray and out of order and to the degree that I submit is to the degree of peace and order that I will experience in my life and so worship is the key to those things in fact I I'm sort of simple most of you already know that in my concepts and a lot of things but I believe that worship is the key to everything in my life. Every issue, every problem. It, it aligns me, it straightens me out, it humbles me, it brings me to an understanding of who I am and who he is and who I am in relationship to my brothers and sisters. And worship it solves so many issues in my life. And so, as we look this over here, uh, he speaks first of all of Moses' seat. And the establishment had assumed that position in the nation of Israel, and, and really rightly so. In the, some of you who have studied uh, true, uh, Jewish traditions, you know, the Mishnah, it presents um, the oral teaching of the Jews, and they have a, a stated, as it were, chain of commands. Uh, uh, it's sort of stated this way, Moses received the law, uh, from Sinai, who did he commit that to? To Joshua. And then Joshua committed it to the elders. And then the elders committed that to the prophets. And the prophets committed it to those, as it were, at the great synagogue. This would be simple te second temple after the return from Babylon. So now we've seen this 400-year period that this great synagogue, this second temple people had grown into this establishment where they had begun to add the traditions of men. Not only were they giving the oral law, but now they begin to tag on things that they sort of applied themselves. And what it did is, as we're going to see, added a lot more weight 
to people's lives, burdens that they could not bear. And it just made coming to God so much harder. It made going to church sort of rough, uh, if you will. We must understand this whole idea of worship and bringing us into submission um, and how important of a reality that is. Because I was created to worship, to worship my, the Creator. If I don't do that, I will still worship. I will worship something, whether it's some idol or even myself. But I will worship because that is what I was created to be. And the principle that's behind that is important. And it is this. Whatever I worship, whoever I worship, that is what I become. That is how I, what I become like. So if your God is mean, you're going to be mean. If your God is greedy, money, materialistic, then you're going to become greedy. I will become greedy. But if your God is the God of the Bible, the living and true God, the creator, then you're going to become loving. You're going to become kind, forgiving, and you'll become faithful because that's who he is. Whatever we worship, we become like that. And Jesus is understood here, sort of a given. He recognizes the establishment. He knows that they are, have been given this place by God. He's not there to, you know, kick them out. But he's there to deal and to confront the attitudes by which they are serving the people. And so Moses' seat, there are two things that we need to observe about Moses' seat. One, it was a position of representation. Moses, as he approached the mountain and went before God represented the nation before God. And God would speak to him and he gave him all the statutes and laws, the civil and the ceremonial laws, and then he recorded them and then he went before the people to represent God. So there's that dual aspect of this ministry and this responsibility of being in Moses' seat. It's no different for pastors. We represent God to you to some degree and then as we pray for you and minister to the Lord, we're representing you before God. Ultimately, Jesus is that intercessor. He's the, the mediator. But we have a lesser role, in a sense, here. And so there's that part of representation before God. But then also, being in that position, there is the responsibility to God. God will hold me and every other pastor and every other, other leader responsible for their service in this manner. It's... As James said, many of us should not be teachers. We should not seek leadership in that sense. Knowing that we will receive a greater condemnation, a more stricter and harsher judgment before God. And so you guys can all go, <sighs> take a sigh of relief. And I can't do that. <laughs> I, I know that, uh, and, it, and I do have a fear and trembling about this. I, I do think about it quite often, actually. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that, Lord. Oof. You know, I may have crossed the line. You know, those are, there's always that, you know, in retrospect, you know, because we're, 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 we're men with clay feet. We make mistakes. 
We're in desperate need of grace. And so I take the position of representation seriously. And woe to the man who doesn't. Now, think about this idea of how God is not a respecter of persons. Moses, for 40 years, this guy was Mr. Faithful. Fact is, the Bible records that he was the meekest man in all the earth. He was the most teachable and humble of all men. He had presence with God. That requires that. And yet, when the people begin to murmur, and they murmured countless times against him and against the Lord, and they were thirsty, and he already struck the rock there in chapter 17 of Exodus, and water came out, and the people's thirst was quenched and all. And then the second go-round, he was commanded not to smite the rock, but to speak to the rock. And Moses was angry with the people. He, had, he was fed up. He about had enough of it, you know. And I can't blame the guy, actually. We just lose it. We are, become impatient sometimes as human beings. And so he smote the rock. And water came out okay. But then the Lord had a, a private meeting with Moses off to the side. You know, M Moses, you crossed the line. You misrepresented me. You, you're not going into the promised land. I know you've been serving me 40 years, but, you, you know, I can't. You misrepresented me, the, the, me to the people. I wasn't angry with them. You were angry with them. I know they were thirsty. And so he was disciplined, as it were, and was not allowed to go in there. Now, if Moses, a man who sat in a tent of meeting face-to-face -face with with Jesus, pre-incarnate, right there. And the Lord gave him the scriptures that he was to write for the nation. If he was disciplined in such a manner, who, who, where do I fit in all this? I don't stand a chance. You see, that's God. He's no respecter. He treats us all the same. We need to understand that. So this is a tremendous privilege. And as I said before, Bad men are in the church and they can rise to positions of authority and they are the ones that keep a number of people out of the kingdom because of their hypocrisy. We'll get into, the, into that more next week. But we have a great position of representing the people and that's what you know. Aaron would do that. Chapter 28 of Exodus talks about Aaron with the breastplate of judgment. And in the breastplate, we covered this uh, several months ago in the book of Exodus, but in that breastplate was a little pouch. And in that pouch, they put a couple of stones, um, the Urim and the Thummim, um, interesting uh, thing, but it was a way that they were able to discern the will of God in situations. The yes for the white stone and no for the black stone, sort of yes, no uh, type questions, and they would be able to discern God's direction or understand what God's will was through that type of uh, inquiry. And, and that's what it says. He shall bear the children of Israel upon his heart continually. You see, when you are in a position of influence, you, you, you can direct people's lives either for good or for evil. Um, and the, one of the things that I hear an awful lot is, is 
why people don't go to church anymore. Well, that pastor, you know, he, well, he either had a moral failure or he was just a screamer or, you know, some excuse. And, you know, maybe the guy does have issues. You know, I wouldn't say that. But uh, just because there are a few bad apples in the bunch doesn't make everybody bad. It doesn't make every church bad. And people use that to cloak their own selfishness, and they just want to do what they want to do rather than serve God. So, so this is a, a, actually a cop-out. But it doesn't take the bad people off the hook. God will judge. And God is going to judge. And so let's just look a little closer here in, at the scribes and the Pharisees and what was going on as we work our way through here. First thing that we find is that they did not do what they were telling everybody else to do. And we know what that's all about. And this is why a lot of people don't go to church. He doesn't practice what he preaches. Oh, this is a hard one for pastors, I know. Because we, there's always a gap between what we preach and who we are. It's just because of our fallenness. But don't pretend there isn't a gap. That's the problem. It's as if you, you know, preach it and act as though you've got it and you've arrived. Well, come on. And so the Israelites wanted to worship God. But they're going to the temple and they know that a number of these guys are absolute hypocrites and it's stumbling them. But they have to sort of block it out, bring their offerings, get ripped off and buying the offerings and still come to God with a, a mind that is surrendered to God. It just makes it more difficult for people when there's this going on. It's hard to, to accept. And I understand it. When people tell me about some of the things they believe about God or some of the things that are going on in churches, I wouldn't believe in that kind of God either, nor would I go to that type of church. I get it. But that doesn't mean that God's a problem or that all churches are a problem. I mean, let's just be real here for a moment. Not all of us, we're not perfect people. We don't always do what we know is right. But these guys were over the top. They were requiring things of the people that actually God didn't require, the traditions of men. And they wouldn't even be doing, them, doing these things that they were requiring of the other people. But Jesus said, said, whatever they tell you to do and observe, do that. Do it and observe it. But don't follow their example. Don't do their works. And so and then he goes on. And everything's downward after that. I mean, obviously, if you're not practicing what you preach, then number two, they're, not, they're unwilling to do themselves what they prescribe for others. And then thirdly, in this area, they love to show off. And nobody, nobody likes a show off. They're doing things so that everybody looks at them and goes, Oh, my they are so spiritual. Did you hear the way he prayed? Oh, I could never do what he does. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it just, you know, get the spoon out and gag me, right? <laughs> and do you have a barf bag while you're at it? I mean, I need one. It just, you know, and they dressed uh, to impress people. It's all about outward show. And this is what we have to guard against. Now, this is why you can't pass judgment on people. People act that way. People do those things. Why? 
because they have not received the grace of God. Except for the grace of God, there go I. Except for the grace of God, I'll just become a, a religious hypocrite. Because I, what that means is without grace in my life, I'm trying to do it in my own strength. I'm trying to keep the law. I'm trying to be a good person. I, 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 and that's the problem. It's all about me. But when it comes to grace and I fall in brokenness before him and confess, Lord, I can't keep the law. I am a hypocrite. I have not been faithful to, to practice everything that I've preached and I have fallen short. You see, when you're a, a spirit-filled man, a spirit-filled woman, and a spirit-filled servant of God, you're going to blow it. But the difference is that when you are walking in the spirit and these things are present in your life and you do f- make mistakes, you quickly repent and recognize it. You apologize to other people. You're not afraid to, to admit you're wrong and you just you deal with it. And then once we deal with it, we can move on. The Holy Spirit's presence is renewed. That's the way the Christian life is to be lived. That's the way it's to be modeled by leadership. And God help us to do that. So not only were they into this whole thing of outward appearance and showing off, but they desired to be honored by titles be, and to be paid respect. Pastor, cardinal, father. You know, I, I'm not one to bash other denominations or others, but I just, I don't understand. I just don't understand how another Christian can call another believer father when Jesus has made it clear. Do not call anyone father. Now, I don't see any exemptions there. There's no uh, see, you know, the small print here. It's just, it's the same print. It's don't do that. We have a tendency to lift people up and give them more credit and more honor than is due them. So this idea of being paid respect or being honored like that was fleshed out in where they wanted to sit at the feast. And where would that be? Right up front beside the host so that everybody could see that they're part of the elite. Once again, you can break out the barf bag and the spoon. The best seats in the synagogue. Oh, you know, uh, we have chairs up on the platform. <laughs> that, really, that really strikes home, doesn't it? I mean, you know, there are lots of settings where the, the, we, you know, and it's necessary to have a bench or a, a pew or chairs up on the platform because, you know, they could, I could walk up and down, and I don't mind doing that, but I get it. I'm not going to find fault with that. But, you know, you get this whole thing of, of superiority over the people. And this is what we're tr- driving at here, and this is what Jesus is driving at. Uh, he, he's pointing out, you know, and this is what Paul pointed out to the Corinthians. You, you're going to have heresy in the church, but it is, it's okay. It's okay if somebody gets a little bit sideways, because if they get a little bit sideways, you're going to know that's not how you do it. <laughs> you know, that's wrong, and so the, the right's going to be more blown up, and the, and the contrast it will explode in your mind, and you'll know the truth. And so Jesus is pointing out the negative because it's so blatantly obvious. It, it's sort of an unspoken reality that these people have had to live with. And, and now Jesus is going to uh, straighten them out. 
you know, these four things, and I'll repeat them before we move forward, can be present in our church and in our lives if we're not careful. We can not practice what we preach. We can tell other people to do what we're unwilling to do ourselves. We can show off and masquerade and appear to be something that we're not. We can seek attention or titles and do praise. In reality, we're all glory thieves. We want attention. But if we're humble and humble ourselves before God, he gives us all the attention we're ever going to need. You ever notice this? God is so personal with each one of us that in our prayer time and in our walk with him, we feel like we're, you know, we're spiritual people and we feel so loved that God loves us more than anybody else. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how else to say it, but it's not true, but it's how we, that's just how God makes us feel. He makes us feel so loved and sometimes we can get sort of puffed. John had this problem, the Apostle John. He's, you know, Jesus leaned on his bosom, the one whom Jesus loved. Like, he didn't really love the other 11 quite like he loved me. That's what I'm talking about. There, that's God. And it, in, a, in our flesh, it just goes to this place where we think we're better than other people. And that's not the case at all. But we have to be careful of that. And the last thing here, uh, and I didn't mention that in that group, but in reality, and it's hard to imagine this, the Pharisees, the establishment, really didn't understand ministry. They did not understand what it meant to be in a position of authority and what that required of them. Yes, they knew they were representing God. That was an easy no-brainer. But how they were to conduct serving, they were there to serve the people. Matthew 20, verse 26 says this from the words of Jesus. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And just as it is with the Son of Man, he did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. This is what Jesus wants to drive home in verses 8 through 10. We are to do we are to observe all the things that are in the word. We are to practice what we preach and what we're taught. We have to recognize that we only have one teacher, and that is the Messiah. Jesus is our teacher. We are not to seek honor that comes from one another. Now, it's okay to say, hey, what you did for me, I just want you to know that really, I'm really grateful and really thankful. That's that's quite appropriate. And actually, that's decent manners to recognize that someone has, has been kind to you. Uh, that's not heaping praise upon them. You're not trying to flatter them or anything. This is what we're trying to avoid. Uh, but we only have one teacher. We only have one rabbi. And this is the big one. Number three, we're to consider each other brothers and sisters. Now, this is... This is what's amazing to me. Jesus considers you. He considers me a brother. You a sister. Isn't that incredible? He's God. Are you serious? Why would he condescend to our level? 
if he, being God, condescends to our level and calls us brethren, and he's not ashamed of us, by the way, according to Hebrews, how is it that I could, as a man, seek to elevate myself above, above my fellow brethren? I mean, this is totally ludicrous if you think about it that way. Don't consider, I cannot and you cannot consider ourselves better than other people. Well, I'm more spiritual than you are, really? That just eliminated that right there by that whole statement. That just nullified it, right? But that's, again, these are fleshly things that must be brought to the cross and crucified in the life of a believer. Call no one father. Why? Because you only have one. There's only one father, the father of all spirits, and he's unseen to us. He's in heaven. And again, rabbi, and then again of teacher. You only have one teacher. So, it's important that we have teachers in the body of Christ. There are people who are gifted teachers, and we need those in the body of Christ. And he's not talking about that, but ultimately what he is talking about is something that what applies to us is this. Whatever you hear from the pulpit, or whatever you hear from a Bible teacher or a Bible study, you need to check it out. You need to be taught yourself individually by Jesus Christ. And how does he do that? He does it through the Holy Spirit. He's in heaven now, interceding for us. But he has sent his spirit to abide in us. And we have, what does he say about the Holy Spirit when he comes? He will teach you all things, and he will speak of things of me. What he hears from me, he will reveal to you. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the Spirit. And that's why, again, I preach devotions. When's the last time you picked up your Bible? When's the last time you sat before God quietly and asked him to speak to your heart? I'm going to tell you, devotions are not that complicated. It's just not that complicated, and most of us know this. You pick your Bible up, you read the scripture. Well, how much do I read? Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. You read until it speaks to your heart. And then when it speaks to your heart, you pray it. Read the scriptures, pray the scriptures. You can do that in five minutes. You can do it in two minutes. It doesn't take a whole lot. God's, God's just waiting. You know, he wants to say something to us. Most of what God has to say to us is in his word. If we'll just take the time. You see, that's what I'm talking about. It's a personal relationship. It isn't religion. It isn't going to church per se. You do need to do that. But it's that personal relationship. Why is this so important? Because you are called to greatness. Oh, come on, man. Who are you fooling? You know you who you're talking to here? Yeah, I know, because I know who I am. But God's called us to greatness. Do you know whose family you're part of? You are part of the forever family, and you're going to live forever in God's presence because you belong to him. He bought you. You're not your own anymore. You belong to him. You're called to greatness because you're associated and you're adopted into his family. You didn't really have much to do with it other than say, please forgive me, Jesus. And now you're in. It's just that simple. Why are devotions important? Why is this important to recognize? Well, this is part of the new covenant. This is what Jeremiah 31, 34 says. I love this. You don't need a mediator on the horizontal level. We have one in heaven now in the person of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, 34 No more shall every man teach his neighbor 
every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. You understand it, the personal relationship with God. You don't need some man to absolve your sins. There's the God-man who hung on the cross, who's taken care of all of that in the person of Jesus Christ. Being called to greatness means we're called to serve. This is what he's talking about there in verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. This really puts some flesh on it, and this is what we'll close with here. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8 should be sufficient for us, but I would encourage you to read the whole book, the whole letter. It's a great letter. It's only four chapters. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, verse 1 of chapter 2, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond slave, and becoming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus is the greatest servant of all. And when you read this, the word if there is an interesting word in the original. You could actually translate it in view of the facts. In view of the fact that Christ modeled this servanthood as a man. In view of the fact that there's encouragement, comfort of love, there's fellowship in the spirit, there's affection and mercy, be like-minded. This was the mind of Christ. Have the same love. Be of one accord. Have the same mind. One mind. With no selfish ambitions. And no conceit. Lowliness of mind. Esteem others better than yourself. Jeez, none of this comes natural, does it? It's only brought to you and me by grace. Through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It is God who forms these things within our minds and in our hearts to be able to look on the interests of others. That was his mind. Look at his attitude. He didn't think it was something to grasp after. He, Jesus didn't run around saying, I, please, please, recognize that I'm God in the flesh. 
I mean, no. He just was. And this is the thing about humility. You just are. And you really just don't think much about it. You know, it, it's, it's not an arrogant, well, you get what you, whatever you see with me, that's what you get. You know, there's nothing, it, it, there's some of that there, but it's not, it's not a, a haughtiness about it at all. It's just, you do, it really, humility is, is actually the, the ability to, to be unconscious of yourself. And that is a very difficult place. In fact, you can't get there. Well, I can't get there apart from grace. But it's to be filled with the presence of God and to be thinking about others. You're, 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 you're beyond yourself because there are needs around you. And Jesus was always other-centered as he's walking the earth. Remember what it says about the libraries of the earth, <laughs> of the world cannot contain the books of all the things that Jesus did because he was so other-centered. God is other-centered. It's amazing. He didn't think grasping deity was something that he needed to do. You being a servant of God, belonging to God is not something you need to be striving after. You just are. Why? Because he chose you and you've chosen him. Many are called, you are chosen. But you made the choice. You responded to the call. And thus you are chosen. Relax. <laughs> Stop striving to try to curry God's favor. He already dumps to, wants to dump his grace on you and lavish you with his love more than you could ever imagine. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. Fact is, as long as you're trying to earn it, you're not going to receive it. So for some of you this morning, you just need to relax and let God just bless you. You know, I say to my kids when, I, when they were younger and I had to minister to a need, like pull a sliver or something, I would say, just relax. No, you're going to hurt me. <laughs> right? Just hold still. This won't hurt. Liar. No, you know, I think sometimes that's how we think God's going. No, this is not going to be like you say. Oh, it's going to be better than he, he says. You know, a bondservant is a slave by choice. And there is no other, in that world, in the biblical world, the use of slave, that is the lowest level possible in relationship to other human beings. That's what we're supposed to assume as brothers and sisters, to take that lowest level that's so important. A.T. Robertson had this to say about brotherhood and slave. Quote, whole life is lived in service for which he can claim neither credit nor reward. A slave. He has what he has. He's received what he has because someone gave it to him. He didn't earn it. He was a slave. He didn't have anything to buy it with. He gets no credit for doing what he's supposed to do because he's just a slave. That's hard for a human pride, isn't it? To, to, to go to there. But that's what Jesus did. And here's the thing. If you don't learn it, if you are unwilling to learn it, as a believer, you will not experience the abundant life that Jesus died for. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and life more abundant. The key to 
fulfillment in life. The key to experiencing that abundant life of joy and peace and love in the Spirit. A good home life. A great family life. A great church life. Is taking on the attitude of a servant. By the grace of God. That's what he desires. That's where fulfillment comes. Now... Jesus, as we read, uh, as you'll read the rest of that chapter there in Philippians, he was rewarded, wasn't he? He now has the highest name, the name above all names. And look, this is good to point out because, you know, we're, we're bottom liners. I know there's a number of you bottom liners here. I'm a bottom liner to some degree. I've learned that too. <laughs> God is going to reward us. Maybe not in this life. God is not forgetful, but he's mindful. He's keeping track of everything you do, how you serve, the sacrifices you're making, how you're laying your life down, and whether you receive acknowledgement for that, any accolades of men, doesn't matter. The Lord knows. You're going to be rewarded for that. If we, and this is suffering. To do what I'm talking about is a form of suffering. Jesus suffered. I love what Paul said. He understood this too. If we're going to share in the glory, and you are. If you're going to share in the glory, and we are. We also must share in the sufferings. To lay down our lives, give up our rights, and serve and wash feet. God help us. If a church, if a, an assembly of people will take on this nature and this character, it will turn a community, it'll turn a world upside down. Because this is not natural. This is supernatural. This is the work that God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to make us servants. His servants. Serving for His glory watching him work, watching him save people, redeem people, heal people. God wants to bless your business. God wants to bless your life in such an abundant way. And somehow, within our own natural thinking, we resist this, and we shouldn't. And so I want to encourage you this week. Take, take some quiet time. Read through this passage one more time and just say in a humble way, Lord, please make this a reality in my life. And as you're praying over your meals, pray that silently to, your, to yourself for that, for that to happen in your life. And then pray that God would bless Calvary Chapel, that he'd fill this assembly with a group of servants that just love Jesus and want to see him glorified. That there isn't this selfishness, self-exaltation, trying to you know, be a glory seeker, a glory hound, but just seeking to glorify God. Because this is what I believe with all my heart. It was said by a missionary, and I can't remember his name right now. God's work done God's way will never let God support. As Paul said in Corinthians, I hasn't seen, 
ear hasn't heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to bless you and to use you and to work through you and to develop a relationship with you that he calls you his friend? And that he doesn't hold secrets back from you, but he reveals his plans and his purposes to you. This is what God wants to do in our church. Now, I know that this ministry is not for everyone. I know that there's people that probably don't get a little uncomfortable when we spend 10 minutes in quiet time. And what are these people doing, you know? And I know there's people, oh my, they raise their hands when they praise God. Wow. In worship, they actually raise their hands in that church. I just want to encourage you. You might as well get used to it because we're going to do it in heaven. <laughs> you might as well get a little practice in. <laughs> God loves you, and I love you guys. And I am praying this for you, for our church. Father, thank you for who you are <laughs> and how good you are, Lord. We were made for this, Lord. We were born for this. We were born again to experience this reality. And Lord, we confess we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be pretentious and acting as though we've got it all together when we don't. And we don't. We're just poor, needy sinners in need of grace, in need of you. We say that because it's true. Not because it's words, because, but it's true, Lord. And we look to you that you will be gracious to this church and to us as individuals and members of the body. Father, I'm asking that you would do this work of grace in our midst, that the word of God would spread rapidly and be glorified. Lord, I'm asking today for those as it was prayed even earlier, Lord, that you would bring healing to the sick. A lot of flu symptoms, Lord. We ask for cleansing and healing of our bodies. More importantly, Lord, I pray that there would be the healing of the Spirit, that the forgiveness of sins and the removal of guilt and renewal of the mind would all take place here. Shall we stand? And as we finish with this last song, just... Just ask the Lord to speak to your heart and to direct your thinking in these things. Make it a prayer to him. And, and so, Lord, God bless your servants today. In Jesus' name.